This is Classic Lutheran Preaching on KNNA LP 95.7, Lincoln, Nebraska. This is Pastor John Schmidt with a reading of Martin Luther's sermon for the seventh Sunday of Easter, the Sunday after the Ascension. This is from the John Nicholas Lenker Collection, published in 1905 and reissued by Baker Bookhouse in 1983. The text for this sermon is John 15, beginning at verse 26 and carrying through chapter 16, verse 4. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth who proceedeth from the Father, he shall bear witness of me, and ye shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. These things have I spoken unto you, that ye should not be caused to stumble. They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the hour cometh, that whosoever killeth you shall think that he offereth service unto God. And these things will they do, because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things have I spoken unto you, that when their hour is come, ye may remember them, how that I told you. And these things I said not unto you from the beginning, because I was with you. Thus far our scripture text. Beloved, you have heretofore heard much about faith. Today you hear also of the witness of faith and of the cross that follows. Paul says to the Romans in chapter 10, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. If one be pious, he must begin in his heart and believe. That serves only unto godliness. It is not enough for salvation. Therefore one must also do what the Christian life requires and continually abide in that life. Hence Paul adds, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus as Lord, thou shalt be saved. It is these two things that constitute our salvation, faith and the confession of faith. Faith rescues from sin, hell, Satan, death, and all misfortunes. Now, when we have this, we have enough. We then let God live here that we may reach a hand to our neighbor and help him. Besides, God desires to have his name praised and his kingdom developed and extended. Therefore we must praise his name, confess our faith, and win others to do the same, so that God's kingdom may be extended and his name praised. Thus, faith must be exercised, worked and polished, be purified by fire like gold. Faith, the great gift and treasure from God, must express itself and triumph in the certainty that it is right before God and man and before angels, devils, and the whole world. Just as a jewel is not to be concealed, but to be worn in sight, so also will and must faith be worn and exhibited, as it is written in 1 Peter chapter 1, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold that perisheth, though it is proved by fire. Now, by confession I must take upon myself the load of Satan, hell, death, and the whole world, kings and princes, pope and bishops, priests and monks, by faith everything falls that reason can or ever has devised for the salvation of the soul. It must chastise the apish tricks of the whole world, and its jewel alone must be praised. The world cannot endure this, therefore it rushes in, destroys, kills, and says, It is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation perish not, as Caiaphas says in John chapter 11. Thus the confession must break forth that God alone is the Savior, and the same confession brings us into danger of losing our lives. 
As the Lord says later to the disciples, they shall put you out of the synagogues. One cannot paint the cross differently than it is here painted. That is its true color. But the cross of illness, to lie in bed at home ill, is nothing compared with the cross of persecution. The first is indeed suffering, but the suffering is golden when we are persecuted and put to death with ignominy, when our persecutors have the praise, when right and honor apparently are on their side, while shame, disgrace, and injustice are on our side, compared with the world that wishes them thereby to have God's honor defended, so that all the world says we are served right, and that God, the scriptures, and all the angels witness against us. There can be no right in our cause, and without trial we must be banished and isolated in shame and disgrace. So it also was with the lot of Christ. They put him to death in the most scornful and disgraceful way, and crucified him between two thieves or murderers. He was regarded as chief of sinners, and they said with blasphemous words, Aye, he called himself God's son. Let God help him now if he wills it differently. Since he does not, God and all the angels must be against him. So Christ says in our gospel, They will kill you, and not in an ordinary way, but in an infamous manner, and all the world will say that they thereby offer God a service. It is, indeed, hard to hold and confess that God is gracious to us, and that we have a Savior who opposes all the world, all its glitter and shine. But let the struggle be as hard and sharp as it will. Faith must express itself, even though we would like to have it otherwise. Faith must expect all this, and nothing follows its confession more surely than the cross. For it is certain to come to us, either in life or at death, that all our doings will appear to be opposed to God in the Scriptures. It is better that it be learned during life from the people than from the devil at death. For the people cannot force it further than into the ears, but Satan has a pointed tongue that pierces the heart and makes the heart tremble. Satan torments you until you conclude that you are lost and ruined, that heaven and earth, God and all the angels are your enemies. This is what the prophet means in Psalm 6 when he says, I am weary with my groaning. Every night make I my bed to swim. I water my couch with my tears. Mine eyes wasteth away because of grief. It waxeth old because of all mine adversaries. It is hard to endure this. Now you see how weak you are who are permitted to bear witness of this faith. One fears his wife or another his children in riches, and a third fears himself. Faith is in vain where it does not continue steadfast to the end. Christ says in Matthew 10 and chapter 24 as well, But he that endureth to the end the same shall be saved. Hence it is better to experience persecution here than punishment at the end. If one flees persecution, there is no faith in his heart, only a dead knowledge or erroneous belief, without sap and strength, marrow and bone. But where there is a true living faith, it presses forward through sword and fire. Let us now notice how the Lord comforts his disciples. He says, But when the Comforter is come, that we may under no circumstances despair, Christ says, I will send you a Comforter, even one who is almighty. And he calls the Holy Spirit here a Comforter. For although both my sins and the fear of death make me weak and timid, he comes and stirs up the courage in my heart and says, Ho, oh, cheer up! Thus he trumpets courage into us. 
He encourages us in a friendly and comforting manner not to despair before death, but to cheerfully go forward, even though we had ten necks for the executioner, and said, I, although I have sinned, yet I am rid of my sins. And if I had still more so that they overwhelm me, I would hope that they should do me no harm. Not that one should feel his sins, for the flesh must experience them, but the spirit overcomes and suppresses diffidence and timidity, and conducts us through them. He is powerful enough to do that, therefore Christ says further, Whom I will send unto you from the Father. For he, the Father, is the person that takes the initiative. I am the Son, and from us the Holy Spirit proceeds. And the three persons are one, and one essence, with equal power and authority, as he better expresses it when he says, The Spirit of truth who proceedeth from the Father. That is as much as to say, he who will comfort you is almighty and Lord over all things. How can the creatures now harm us if the Creator stands by us? Notice how great the comfort of the Holy Spirit is. Now let all the Turks attack us, and as long as he is our guard and rear guard, there is no danger. John also says in his first epistle, chapter 3, Hereby shall we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Because if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Likewise, in the following chapter, he says, You are of God, my little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So the Lord now says, Him will I send unto you, so that nothing can harm you. Is not that liberal comfort? Who would not be fearless and cheerful in view of this? Christ calls him the Spirit of Truth. That is, where he is and comes, there is a rock foundation through and through, the real truth. Neither falsehood nor hypocrisy is there, for the Spirit is not hypocritical. But wherever he is not, there is nothing but hypocrisy and falsehood. Therefore we fall when the test comes, because the Spirit of Truth is not present. Christ now further says, he shall bear witness of me. That is, if he is in the heart, he speaks through you and assures and comforts you in the belief that the gospel is true. Then, as a result, the confession of the gospel springs forth. What then is the gospel? It is a witness concerning Christ, that he is God's Son, the Savior, and beside him there is none other. This is what Peter means when he says in his second chapter, you are a royal priesthood, that we are elected thereto, that we preach and show forth the excellencies of Christ. Hence there must always be witnessing. Witnessing loads upon itself the wrath of the whole world. Then the cross follows. Then rebellions arise. Then the lords and princes and all who are great become angry, for the world cannot hear nor will it tolerate this kind of preaching. Therefore the gospel is hated and spoken against. Reason thinks, I, one, can nevertheless easily preach the gospel in a beautifully simple and plain way without a revolution in the world, and then it will be heartily welcomed. This is the utterance of Satan. For if I believe and say that faith in Christ alone does and accomplishes all, I overthrow the monkey play of the whole world, and that they cannot allow. Therefore Christ's teachings and man's teachings cannot stand together, 
one must fall. Priests and monks, as they are at present, are dependent in name, character, and works upon human institutions, which the Gospels thrust to the ground. Hence they dare not accept the Gospel, and they continue as they are. Thus I say that the Christian faith is founded upon Christ alone without anything additional. The priests will not permit their affairs and institutions to fall. In consequence, seditions and rebellions follow. Therefore, there must be dissension where the gospel and the confession of Christ are, for the gospel opposes everything that is not of its own spirit. If the teachings of Christ and the priests were not antagonistic, they could easily stand together. They are now pitted against one another. As impossible as it is for Christ not to be Christ, so impossible is it for a monk or a priest to be a Christian. Therefore a fire must be kindled. The Lord himself in Matthew 10 and in Luke 12 says, I came not to send peace but a sword. Then follows in our text, And ye also bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Yes, then first, when you become certain of your faith through the Holy Spirit, who is your witness, you must also bear witness of me. For to that end I chose you to be apostles. You have heard my words and teachings and have seen my works and life and all things that you are to preach. But the Holy Spirit must first be present. Otherwise you can do nothing, for the conscience is too weak. Yes, there is no sin so small that the conscience could vanquish it even if it were so trifling as laughing in church. Again, in the presence of death, the conscience is far too weak to offer resistance. Therefore another must come and give to the timid, despairing conscience courage to go through everything, although all sins be upon it. And it must at the same time be an almighty courage, like he alone can give who ministers strength in such a way that the courage which before a rustling leaf could cause to fear is now not afraid of all the devils and the conscience that before could not restrain laughing now restrains all sins. The benefit and fruit of the Holy Spirit is that sin will be changed to the highest and best use. Thus Paul boasts to Timothy when he was converted that whereas he had lived such a wicked life before he now held his sin to be so contemptible that he composed a hymn and sang about it thus in 1 Timothy chapter 1. I thank him that enabled me, even Christ Jesus our Lord, for that he counted me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though I was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, howbeit I obtained mercy, because I did it ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord abounded exceedingly with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Faithful is the saying, and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy, that in me as chief might Christ Jesus show forth all his long suffering, for an example of them that should thereafter believe on him unto eternal life. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory for ever and ever. Amen. Jesus continues in the text, These things have I spoken unto you that you should not be caused to stumble. Now that Christ had comforted and strengthened his disciples, he warns them of their future sufferings in order that they might be able to bear them valiantly. He is an especially good friend who warns one, 
and the evil visitation is much easier borne when one is prepared beforehand for it. Christ says, They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the hour cometh that whosoever killeth you shall think that he offereth service unto God. You will certainly experience this. Therefore, arm yourself and be prepared. The most of all will be that, when they have treated you in the most shameless manner, they will think they have done a good work in doing so, and it will appear to them as if your God had taken stand against you, and they will sing over it a te deum, as if they had done God's will and offered unto him a service. Hence he arms them here that they may be of good courage when it comes to pass, and he concludes that the thought that they shall have God's favor, although at the time there shall be no sign of it, for God does not stand on the side of his disciples. He adds, And these things will they do, because they have not known the Father nor me. Therefore, be patient, be prepared, be firm. See to it that ye by no means take offense at me. Remember that I told you before that they have known neither the Father nor me. Therefore they will heap upon you dishonor, shame, and persecution. You should never forget this, for it will give you great comfort and make you bold, cheerful, and undismayed. Therefore Christ concludes the admonition by saying, But these things have I spoken unto you, that when their hour is come you may remember them, how that I told you. And these things I said not unto you from the beginning, because I was with you. Who now has been considered to be worse than he who told the Pope that he knew not the Father? The Pope would, of course, declare the contrary and say, I, Satan, has commissioned you to speak that. Now they all say that they know the Father. The Turk also says that he does. In like manner they declare they believe God in the Scriptures. But there are two kinds of knowledge. The first, for example, such knowledge as one might have of the Turk from his noise and reputation. The other, the knowledge one would have of the Turk through his deeds were he to capture and occupy Rome. In this latter sense we do not know the Turk. It is this first kind of knowledge that some people have of God. They know very well how to say of him, I believe in God the Father and in his only begotten Son. But it is only upon the tongue, like the foam on the water. It does not enter the heart. Figuratively, a big tumor still remains there in the heart. There is, they cling somewhat to their own deeds and think they must do works in order to be saved that Christ's person and merit are not sufficient. Thy work is nothing, thy wisdom is foolishness, thy counsel is nothing, thy truth also amounts to nothing, neither does the Mass avail anything before God. Then they reply, I, the devil, has prompted you to speak thus. They say Christ has truly died for us, but in a way that we also must accomplish something by our deeds. Notice how deeply wickedness and unbelief are rooted in the heart. The puffed-up pride of the heart is the reason why man can know neither Christ nor the Father. But to know Christ, in the other and true sense, is to know that he died for me and transferred the load of my sin upon himself. To so know this that I realize that all my doings amount to nothing. To let go all that is mine and value only this, that Christ is given to me as a present his sufferings, his righteousness, and all his virtues are at once mine. When I become conscious of this, I must in return love him. My affections must go out to such a being. After this I climb upon the sun higher to the Father and see that Christ is my God and that he placed himself in my death, in my sin, in my misery, 
and bestows upon me his grace. Then I know also his gracious will and the highest love of the Father, which no heart of itself can discover or experience. Thus I lay hold of God at the point where he is the tenderest, and think, Aye, that is God, that is God's will and pleasure, that Christ did this for me. And with this experience I perceive the high inexpressible mercy and the love in him because of which he offered his beloved child for me in ignominy, shame, and death. That friendly look and lovely sight then sustained me. Thus must God become known only in Christ. Therefore Christ himself says to his disciples, No one knoweth the Son save the Father, neither doth any know the Father save the Son, and he to whom the Son wills to reveal him, as Jesus says in Matthew 11. On the other hand, those who parade their own works do not know Christ. Neither do they know what the Father has done through Christ. Nor do they know that God is not interested in their good works, but in his Son alone. Thus they do not know the Father, neither do they know what they have received from the Father through Christ. Therefore they must fall and perish and behold God in his severest aspect as a judge. They try to silence the judgment with their good works, but they find no good work that is sufficient to do this, and then they must finally despair. When people see that they, themselves, are nothing, and establish the foundation of their hearts upon Christ, esteem him as the highest good, and know God as a father in death and life, this is to know God. Enough has been said on this gospel. We shall pray to God to give us grace to know him and his Christ aright. Amen. This has been a presentation of Classical Lutheran Preaching from the Sermons of Martin Luther. The John Nicholas Linker Collection of 1905 and reprinted by Baker Bookhouse in 1983. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.